Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Good morning. I ask you to take your Bibles and find Revelation chapter 2, please. Revelation chapter 2. Thank you so much, Pastor Mark, musicians. What a very, uh, very fine, incredible time of worship, uh, expressing our love, our appreciation to Christ. It has been a while since uh, I have been able to be at, uh, at Central, three years. Uh, I think the last time was 2019. And uh, I do, do want to remind you, I, I want to thank you again uh, for your partnership with Bethesda Outreach Ministries uh, to vulnerable and orphaned children. Uh, we appreciate so much the, uh, the support, the prayers, the many ways that you're involved in Bethesda Outreach. I'm no longer employed by Bethesda Outreach. I now pastor uh, a church back in the States. But uh, I'm still on the board, and that's what brings us here this week. And I pass along our appreciation to you folks, uh, to Pastor Charles for his leadership uh, on the Bethesda board uh, and his friendship, partnership over the years together. Uh, thank you so much. I also just want to let you know that I pray for you often. Uh, when I get up on Sunday mornings, uh, uh, there's a short list of favorite people and churches that just sort of come into my heart and head, and, and so I pray for them. The problem is when I get to Central Baptist Church and Pastor Charles, it's six hours after you've actually met. But I'm, I'm trusting that God will work that all out. Uh, I'm not, uh, probably not going to wait, set my alarm at 2 a.m. and uh, get up. Revelation chapter 2 in our Bibles, as we, uh, as we continue our worship, our attention as we come to this book, uh, I, I would like to at least give a survey of these two chapters. Our attention comes to churches. Our attention comes to gatherings of followers of Jesus Christ, just like us, throughout the ages, churches that uh, actual groups of believers that uh, who, who we have the responsibility, we play a huge role in what God is doing in this world. We are the point of what God is doing in this world. We partner together. We tell the truth about Jesus. We, we defend the truth about Jesus. We worship Jesus. We wait for His coming. And the book of Revelation is not a code book to make some people smarter as far as they know what's going to happen in the future, the book of Revelation is a letter to churches to help us and hear the message over and over and in various ways and grip our imagination with the message of, hang on, endure, keep it up. We, it, one author has summarized the book of Revelation this way, we uh, do not understand how bad it really is, and we do not understand how great the hope that we really have is. And we live in that tension, don't we? 
of the incredible blessings and truths that we just sang. How beautiful you've sung that. When we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. But yet we also live in a day right now where, for example, as we read through the seven letters, each church is reminded, just about each church, the majority of the churches are reminded that they currently dwell in the synagogue of Satan. So lest I get ahead of myself, the seven letters are like a report card. They are like an, they are like a, a, an assessment, a, um, a job, an employment review, where Jesus is speaking to the churches and he assesses how each church is getting along, how they're following their instructions, how they could do better, how, what good they're already doing, how they're doing well, and then promises to motivate to greater obedience of all the questions and concerns and confusion that we face as we read this book of the Bible, we need to again remember this is for us to understand. The blessing that is is given in chapter 1 and verse 3 of if you read this letter, read this prophecy, there is a blessing that comes with it, and I believe the blessing is not that we know the secrets of the future, but that we know the God who's in control of the future, because we're brought into incredible scenes of the throne room, of who's there, of what's going on in the throne room, and so forth. And so the first chapter makes it clear that this collection of visions, symbols, judgments are intended to reveal to us the absolute dominance of Jesus Christ, even though we live in the synagogue of Satan, Jesus Christ has accomplished victory, and that victory is being acted out all the way through till, as we sang, we we are absolutely transformed into the newness that God made us to enjoy. So the book of Revelation is both a prophecy and a letter, but the promise is clear. Churches that read, hear, and keep the message of Revelation are blessed by God. I want to read two sections for you, and we will begin in chapter 1 in verse 12. And this is the description of who we're listening to. All right? Let me see if I can put one more thought out there that will help draw you in to appreciate and enjoy the study. What would it sound like if Jesus spoke to you? All right? What would it sound like if Jesus spoke to you? Now, let me put a period on, a question mark on that. Let's go to the answer. It's what we're going to read today. You can't make up what Jesus says to you. All right. Now we all we all have ways of talking about leaning or or hearing or being led or being directed or feeling like God is telling us something. But here we have in front of us the actual words of Jesus giving an assessment and giving encouragement to churches of all ages. This is Jesus talking to us, and here's that description of Jesus in verse twelve. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. This is John, and now in, in, in his recording of these visions, he says, here's, I turn, I see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. That's, 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 we know that's Jesus just because of the title, Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hairs of his head were white. And I love this, this little observation. The hairs of his head were white like, like wool. And then it says, in case you don't know what, how white wool is, it's white like snow. Now, some of you haven't shoveled snow. I have. It's, it's white, just like wool just like the hair. There's something about the visual that God wants us to get, this, this enormous impression. He continues, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Before you try to figure out what any of that means, the intent is, what does it look like? Are you impressed? This one that, we, that he just described is talking to you and to me. He's about to speak. I would think very much now we learn how we should respond in verse 17. When John saw him, when I saw him, he says, here's my testimony, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Now get up, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus is talking to us, the church. There are, there are several similarities in each of these seven messages. And so in our desire to, to hear well, I want to read one of the letters. We don't have time to read all seven of the messages. So let me just read chapter 2 in that first verse, the letter to Ephesus. And it gives us a format. All, the, all seven letters follow very similar uh, uh, form. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And we see immediately a reference back to the vision of who we're listening to. So Jesus is saying, I want to remind you who you're listening to. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I believe that as we we take a survey this morning, I want to help us be encouraged. These are messages that have been studied and read by churches for over 
2,000 years. Revelation was addressed to seven specific churches back in John's day after Christ rose and went to heaven. These are seven letters that are written. Now remember, every century, 200 years ago, 700 years ago, 1,200 years ago, anybody who gathered together in the name of Jesus could come to these letters and take it as this is for us. What is going on? What are we learning about what Jesus is saying to the churches? So we join a host. These are common. These are universal. And so we want to look at those this way as we just break down. I want to bring out two, two basic points. We want to look, first of all, in a summary at Jesus' assessment of churches, and then we want to look at how we should respond. And so let me just point your attention to each, in each letter, they, they, there is this beginning where Jesus says, I know, I know something. All right, so for example, what we read in verse 2 of chapter 2, I know your works. I know followed by an assessment. He sees, he knows our works, he knows our loyalty, he knows our blind spots, he knows our environment, he knows our enemy. The author of this assessment, this assessment is very much like a, a report card giving us the grades on how we're doing and even defining what's important. Now, on your report card, when you change grades or levels, the subjects pretty much stay the same, right? They just elevate to the next level. Arithmetic for grade one, you still do arithmetic in grade five. You still do science, you still do English. These are common, and now we're getting assessed in how we're doing in those. And I believe that under this assessment of our church, I want to point out four common blind spots. He mentioned several ways that churches are doing well. He commends the church for our works of love, our faith, our service. He acknowledges the times of patient endurance on our part. To use an idiom of today, you recognize what a blind spot is, right? We all have them. They're parts of our walk with God. They're parts of what we do, are parts of our lives that we just don't see easily and we need somebody else to remind us. But another idiom that we might use for this is, uh, I don't know if it's a familiar or you're, you're familiar with it, but in America we'll use this idiom, boy, that ate my lunch. Uh, that, in other words, if, if you would Google eat your lunch as an idiom, it would come up. Simply, it means to best someone. It means to defeat to outwit or to win against someone. I cycle, and so when when I'm on my bicycle and I come up to a hill, a long hill with a steep grade, I I just don't want that hill to eat my lunch, but it sometimes does. Sometimes it just both outwits me because I think I can do it, and it beats me. What is it in the Christian life that is like that for us? What are those, what blind spots would you have in common with followers of Jesus Christ from the year 423? Would you have some? If you were to gather together with churches from centuries ago, would you still be able to talk and maintain a conversation about your walk with God and say, I do that? That 
that bests me as well. That outwits me. It's a common thing. And Jesus, in his love for us, I believe, he gives us this assessment. And let me just give you quickly four blind spots, four universal or four common blind spots that Jesus points out in this assessment to the churches. The first one is this, self-deceived apathy. Self-deceived apathy. How you see yourself, it's, 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 a repet, it's a repeated assessment in these seven letters that how we see ourselves is not the same way that Jesus sees us. In other words, the point is this. Understand that at times, maybe more often than not, you and I are the least qualified to evaluate our walk with God the least qualified to say how we're doing. Notice in in chapter 2, verse number 4, the church at Ephesus, but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. After he had said that they uh, they were doing well in this, well in this, but this I have against you, you've abandoned. What would that look like? Could that ever be said of you? You take the long haul of your walk with God. Have there ever been those times, those dips, those dark spots, those times where you wonder, I'm not going to walk away, I'm not going to say God doesn't exist, but boy, I'd have to admit right now, because of the circumstances, because of all the pressures, because of the stress, because of, and you just go on and on and on, of what's going on in this season of life. I have walked away from, I no longer love, serve, believe, pray, study, read like I once did. In other words, Ephesus is not condemned and God reaches down and takes their stuff away from them. He is just pointing out to them, if you're going to be in the church, if you're going to be the church, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this is going to be a common blind spot. You may want some, that's why you come to church, I hope. That's why you participate. That's why you get involved in community. Because you recognize very humbly, I have a blind spot. I could easily stop growing in my love for Christ like I once did. All right? Sardis chapter 3 verse 1 I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But, you see the words there? You're dead. Chapter 3, verse 17, where where Jesus uses these words with the church at Laodicea. You say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you see the point? We're not the best, we're not the best truth tellers about ourselves. And so that's a blind spot that we have that Jesus reminds us of as a church, self-deceived apathy. The second one is misunderstood opportunities. Misunderstood opportunities. Opportunities are hard to see sometimes because of how they are dressed or what they appear like. Open doors may appear to us as hard, discouraging, painful. 
Yet God intends them for our growth in his glory. Chapter 3, I draw your attention to the letter to Philadelphia in verse 7. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Now think about that. Here's an opportunity, and no one is going to be able to shut the door to this opportunity. Now listen to how it's described. He says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word. You've not denied my name. And behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not. It doesn't look like much of an opportunity for me, to me, does it to you? Here's a church, he says, you have little influence and power. And you live right in the middle of where Satan is worshiped. But the door of opportunity for gospel ministry, no one will ever close it. Do you see it? Do you see how we could have a blind spot here? We get so enamored with how hard it is, how difficult it is, how wicked it is. And then we look at ourselves in the mirror and we find out, I can't do it. I have nothing. I I am so overwhelmed. I am so weary. And we miss the opportunities that are before us. Smyrna, in a very similar way, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. You are rich, he says in parenthesis, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. But they are a synagogue of Satan. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. The devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Do you see suffering and martyrdom as an opportunity, right? It's an open door, an opportunity. We see suffering as an opportunity. We see gospel ministry in a hard place with all of our weaknesses as opportunity. So self-deceived apathy, misunderstood opportunities. Now remember, we're talking about universal Blind spots common to churches and followers of Jesus for centuries. This might be coffee table or living room conversation in heaven. Aren't you glad that we no longer have these blind spots? That we don't have to wrestle with these things. The third one is compromise tolerance. Truth is always under attack by the evil one. Another blind spot for us as a church and as followers of Christ is yielding to this various and relentless influences of false teaching. Pergamum, chapter 2, verse 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. I just want to point out, here's, do, do, do you think if you were a part of the church of Pergamum and this letter came to you and it actually mentioned you by name as a church and then it said, and you, you all know Antipas, don't you? You all remember Antipas. He was martyred from right among you. And, you, and you're standing faithful. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. You have some there, you go down further, who are holding teachings of uh, following idols and sexual immorality. The other example we would see is in Thyatira in chapter 2, verse number 20. But I have this against you. 
that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, look, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation. Compromised tolerance. It's been a, it, it's, it, it would be an understatement to say for many of us the last two or three years with COVID and so forth have been challenging in various ways, right? But one of the ways I think that has challenged the church is how easily we've become distracted. We've been, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and I'm I, I, pastor of a church in America, and I, I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I would imagine at least five, six times through COVID, I've had a conversation with someone who wants to tell me what I should be preaching. And it relates to their view of what, where COVID comes from, how to get over COVID, what to do about COVID, whether you should wear a mask or not, whether you should have services or not, where it's all coming from. And by the way, don't you know they're going to put some kind of a recording device in your bloodstream? You should be preaching this stuff, Pastor. You should. If I just described you, I love you. I, 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 God bless you. You know what the point is, though, why I would even risk saying that and offending some of you? Is that that's exactly what Jesus warned us about. We have a blind spot. And if we're not careful, we're going to take the stresses that come our way, the pressures that come our way, and we're going to reinterpret them, but we're going to leave Jesus out of it. And so instead of saying, right, in the, right at the heat, the most confusing time of COVID, instead of saying, I can't wait until we get back to the way we were, we're saying, I can't wait until we learn the lessons and become the kind of people that God wants us to be through the suffering and the stress that He has put on us. I can't wait to become what God wants me to be through this time. It's a blind spot we have. It's a blind spot that preachers have. Not yours, but some. The guy way over there. Self-deceived apathy, misunderstood opportunities, compromised tolerance, and then fourthly, a universal blind spot is loving discipline. I tell you, folks, this one is really hard to see. I don't say that because I could walk along with you and say, oh, there it is. I just know this is, oh, it is so confusing. God disciplines those he loves. That discipline is intended to shape us and to change us into Christ's image. Jesus warns us to look for it and embrace it. I want to just point you to five examples, and, and I, don't, don't get worried about the time on it very quickly. Uh, Laodicea, chapter 3. This is probably the, the most helpful summary of this concept. Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Can we just stop there a moment? Will you think with me? Those whom I am really, have really run out of patience with, those who are, are ugh, just frustrate the daylights out of me, those who I don't like, you see where I'm going? Those whom I love. Those whom I love, I reprove 
I discipline, so you be zealous and repent. Chapter 2, verse 5, the church at Ephesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. In other words, you used to be here, you've fallen away. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, hear the voice of Jesus now. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Your light will go out. Does that mean you've lost your salvation? Absolutely not. It might might demonstrate that you never were converted in the first place genuinely. But there is, you will lose your influence. All you will have is what you have on earth. All you will have to do is to count your money, drive your cars, go on holidays, and enjoy your dog. But you won't have light. Your life will not penetrate out into your community. Your light will not penetrate out into your lives of your children. He will remove your influence because you have walked away from Him. You insist on a different kind of Christianity than what Jesus died to buy for you. Chapter 2, verse 16, Pergamum. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon. And I, I, we're not even going to bother to try to interpret this. Get the picture in your head. Jesus is talking to the church. I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. The them are the false teachers, the ones who are giving into, the ones who are giving into and being distracted by false teaching. Chapter 2, verse 22, Thyatira. Behold, I'll throw her onto a sickbed. That's the false teaching. Those who commit adultery with her, that's those of us who get distracted by it. I will throw into great tribulation. Chapter 3, verse 3, the church at Sardis. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've not found your works. I'm in verse 3 now. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, here's another image Here's another metaphor, another picture to put in your mind. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. He loves us that much. Some of you have, you're old enough to have children who have wandered away from the faith and even getting into trouble, getting off into ways. Has your love heightened at that point? Has the intensity of your tears your brokenness, your affections for the one who's wandered away, does it get less or does it get more? The answer is obvious, isn't it? We're more and more broken. Our love becomes more and more real, intense, and passionate, and frustrated, like a father who loves his children. Self-deceived apathy, misunderstood opportunities, compromised tolerance, and loving discipline, blind spots, So are we listening? Do we hear these warnings? This is our report card. These are the things that we struggle with frequently. These are the things that wear us out. These are the things that we ought to be talking about. We do not always see these things clearly or even feel like we agree with God about them. But the church and the individual that follows Jesus that does not humbly acknowledge and address our blind spots will have our lunch eaten regularly and often by the evil one, and eventually we hear the words of Jesus that says the light will just go out. 
Now, as we conclude our study, let's look quickly at a response. There is this, at the beginning of every letter is, I know, Jesus is saying. At the end of every letter is, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let's talk about that response. If you've ever had the incredible opportunity to instruct or correct a child, you can somewhat identify with what Jesus is thinking and feeling at the end of each message to the church. For he says, if you have ears, you better listen. Perhaps another idiomatic expression will help us as we think about this in our experience even with children. We often say, even as we look at, or even as we look in the mirror, we say, in one ear and out the other, right? I've said, I'm coming to the end of, I'm retiring soon from pastoral ministry, and I've, I've said a few times that if I ever did write a book on preaching, it might have the title, In One Ear and Out the Other. But yet, that would be sort of bad, wouldn't it? But this is how we say it. What, what I just said, it, it just seems like it was essentially ignored. It was dismissed. It was forgotten almost immediately. That's what Jesus is feeling. He knows us so well that he now gives us in repeated fashion, let me help you uh, sort of put one hand up to your head so that it doesn't just pass through. Let me give you some ways that you should be responding regularly. These are indicators of how uh, there's a difference between um, Uh, lecturing, preaching, and then what we would call active learning that involves the student, correct? He's now involving us as students. And I just want to share with you three ways of a survey out of these letters where where he gives us this is how we should be acting. The first one is wake up. All right, three responses, four assessments, four blind spots. Now three responses, wake up. And we could note the number of times as we read through these seven messages of the times and the ways that Jesus commands his church to wake up. In other words, you and I are going to get weary, we're going to fall asleep, we're going to wander, and Jesus is saying, accept that as you. That's who you are. That's a part of being a Christian. And so he calls us to wake up. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. He says it this way. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Remember is an active thinking about. All right? So remember. One, two, three. No, no, no. That's not long enough. You actually have to think about it. So to, to the church at Ephesus, he's saying this. Think about when you used to love me more than you love me now. Think about when you were more committed to following me than you are committed now. Think about it. You can't say, I have, after five seconds. So he says it this way. Dear brother and sister, remember, don't don't be so busy with going forward and so busy with stuff in your life that you don't have time to think. Remember. And then he puts it this way in chapter 3, verse 2 where he says, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. 
for I've not found your works complete. Wake up, strengthen what remains. Chapter 3, verse 19. He calls us in this whole, under this rubric or this title of waking up, he says, be zealous. Chapter 3, verse 19. Whom I love, I reprove, I discipline, so be zealous. Wake up. Zeal just simply means to desire something earnestly, to pursue, to exert yourself. It's this rekindled passion. It's a reigniting. What what reignites your faith? And don't sit there and say, oh, no, I don't ever need reigniting. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm right up at high all the time. You know you're not. None of us are. But do you know yourself well enough? Have you figured it out where you remember, you think, you look, you evaluate, you hear Jesus' assessment, and you say, I need to be reignited? It's one of the reasons we do church every week, right? It's one of the reasons you should be in a community group or a small group of some kind. Because you recognize that you are, that you have a blind spots that you have, and that one of the active learning responses to Jesus' lordship of your life is that I must be reignited, rewoken. I don't even know if that's a word, but you understand. If, I don't, if I'm not around other believers, if I'm not around the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, if I'm not memorizing the Scripture, if I'm not ignited, then I will never, I, I can fall asleep, I will go... Wake up. The second active learning response is turn around. Notice the number of times that Jesus calls upon his church, us, to repent. Chapter 2, verse 5, the verse that we just looked at. Remember and repent. Turn around. That's what repent means. Chapter 2, verse 16, therefore repent. Chapter 2, verse 21, I gave her time to repent. Chapter 3, verse 19, be zealous and repent. Do you, do you, could you tell a story right now as a follower of Jesus to someone that you trust, to someone that you love in the faith, about the last time you turned around? Was it this past week? I'm going to just pick on, let's pick on parents. And mom or dad, you, your child comes along, they do something, and you just let them have it. It's not rare, is it? You let your anger get a hold of you. You let your disappointment lead. And you say some things that you shouldn't say, and you overreact in ways that you shouldn't have overreacted. Then in a calm time, if there ever is such a thing, it comes to your mind. That was inappropriate. What I did was inappropriate. I now face Jesus, but I can't face him until I do what? (laughs) He's over here. I need to turn around from that being the Lord of my life, and I now turn around and I'm going a different direction. Now, if that's repenting, how many times a week would a person, would the would the people, would people like us, with the blind spots that we have, need to repent? Wake up. Watch out. You you need to be ignited and your passion needs to be rekindled multiple, multiple times. Turn around. The number of ways and the number of times and the frequency and the various opportunities that we have where we get living life our way 
turn around, he says. We have become quite touchy about repentance. In other words, we think it's only for some kind of bad, inexperienced, immature believers. And it's not. The most mature among you who know Jesus and love Jesus, you frequently find yourself transparently acknowledging, I need to turn around. There are so many areas in my life that just catch that affection for Jesus and take it away, and I need to turn around. Wake up, turn around. Third active response is hang on. Each of the letters to the churches, every one of them include this, those who conquer, I will do this. Hold fast and endure. This repeated statement of promise and hope to every church, to the one who conquers. Chapter 2, verse 3, he says, I know you are enduring patiently. Chapter 2, verse 13, I know that you hold fast my name. Chapter 2, verse 25, only hold fast what you have until I come. Chapter 3, verse 11, I am coming soon, hold fast. It probably, I would argue at least in my little understanding, that it is the major theme of the whole letter of the book of Revelation. It is Jesus has won the victory for you. It is not now completely played out in reality. It's coming. So what are you, what's your job? Hang on. Hang on. Patient endurance, not denying, holding fast. How long can you wait for something? How long can you hold on before you decide to move on to something easier or more comfortable? Central Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers, and by the way, this is really good news, who share, who have in common, the same blind spots of apathy, missed opportunities, capability of being misled, and not responding well to discipline. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Who are you? Well, I can fall into apathy once in a while. I miss opportunities. Boy, can I get misled easily. And I don't respond very well to God's discipline in my life. Is that us or not? See, I think it goes back to Jesus' teaching, blessed are the humble, Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who understand the blind spots that we have and we're willing to be transparent about them. Therefore, because that's who we are, and that's who we are living and serving and and loving Christ in the synagogue of Satan, he commands us to do this. Wake up, turn around, and hang on. I'd almost like you to say it with me. Let me say it one more time, and then I'm going to ask you to repeat it with me. Wake up, turn around, hang on. Will you say it in a way with me that the people around you will hear you, and they'll be encouraged by you? Ready? Wake up, turn around, hang on. And you have to do that hang on like I did like you really understand that that person is about to let go. Hang on. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock, is is that summary verse at the end of the seventh church of Laodicea. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's to you. That's how Jesus wants you to see him. He is standing outside at the door of your life with all of our blind spots. Any time that we recognize our blind spots, any time that we wake up, we turn around, and we hang on, he's there. All we have to do is what? Let him in. He's knocking to remind us that he is with us up and down, through and out, and even through all the stuff of Satan's synagogue. Where's Jesus? He's right there, absolutely accessible. He's ringing our doorbell, even, even when we're not ready to answer it. But he'll keep ringing. I want to invite you to open that door. I want to invite you if, you, if you are about to let go, if you are so right now committed to heading a direction away from Jesus, if you've fallen asleep and you're not where you, you know you're not where you ought to be, I want to invite you to open the door to Jesus. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, your power. Thank you, Father, that you are worthy of us as your church waking up, turning around, and holding on. And it's all because you are worthy. And you have won the victory for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.